0: It was Thursday, May 15th, several years ago, when Stephanie and I were still in Pensacola, and we had gone home for our lunch break. And shortly after we got home, Stephanie went back to our bedroom, and I was out in our living room area when I heard, Michael Robert! And I thought something was dreadfully wrong. I didn't know if while we were gone there was an overflow in the bathroom. We had a puppy at the time. We still have the dog, but he was a puppy then. And he frequently, while we were away at work, ate things. I think he destroyed about seven or eight pairs of my wife's shoes. One time we came home and she had left her Bible on the table next to our couch, after she had done her morning reading, we had gone to work and we came home, I came home that is, and Shadow had torn pages and ripped the pages of the Bible all over the living room floor, all over the dining room floor, it brought new life to thy words were found and I did eat them, but um, so I thought something like that had happened and I, I started to make my way toward our bedroom when I heard We're pregnant! That was not what I was expecting to hear. And it was very surprising because after we had tried for several years, including even some medical tests and procedures to determine if it was physically possible for us to conceive and have children, we had gotten pregnant the previous year only to lose that pregnancy early and so it was a surprise to me that that i heard that news it was a excitement filled moment but anxiety producing moment all at the same time this time around we didn't tell anybody until after the first ultrasound and we knew up to that point that everything was going well in the months Following the announcement that we were expecting and leading up to the birth of our first child, can you guess what we heard the most from people? The people we knew, the people around us, so on and so forth. Can you guess? We heard everything is going to change. We heard it all the time. Your lives are going to change, everything's going to change when this baby comes. And if you've had children, you know the truth of that statement in those words. Nothing prepares you completely for the moment your child comes into the world. You have been with your spouse on your own for however long. For us, it had been over seven years. And you get used to certain rituals and routines and being able to just get up and leave the house anytime you want to go do things. Believe it or not, as younger people, married without children, we had gotten in the habit of going to bed at about 9 o'clock. That wasn't going to happen for a while. And even if we tried, it wasn't going to last very long. Everything was going to change. And that was what we experienced globally in 2020. A a global pandemic caused massive shifts in our thinking and our routines. How many of you went from going into work to working more from home? How many of you went from having your kids at school to homeschooling your children or attempting to homeschool your children? How many of you did not leave the house for long stretches of weeks, maybe even months? There was a brief period, do you remember, where you had to have special permission to be out and about. It was a lot of changes. And in some ways some of what changed still affects us four years later. Right? I mean, there are things that are not as different as they were, but we are still seeing the ripple effects of what all of that caused nearly four years on. Through those changes, in the early days of those changes, we experienced a new normal. And I preached a message series by that title, a new normal. All along, as we went through that time period, what did we hope for? What did we long for? We didn't want a new normal, right? All along, we talked about, I just want to get back To normal I I want things to go Back to the way they were Pre-pandemic I want to go Out and about and not have to put a mask On I want to go out and about and not See other people's faces covered by Masks I want to go out and not Worry about Someone else's Contagiousness I want to go out and about I want to see My loved ones and not have to worry About all that we wanted to get back to normal. Have we arrived? Are we back to normal? Some of us may answer that different ways. Some of us may say, Well, yeah, I, I think for the most part, I, I don't really think about it a whole lot as I go out and about like I did. We don't see the signage and hear the announcements as much, and even if we do, not too many people actually follow them, so, you know, it doesn't bother me too much. Some of us would say, no, it's, we're not there, and we're not going to be. Regardless of how you perceive whether or not we are back to normal, it struck me as I began thinking about the end of this year and the beginning of a new year that this thought is often used to describe what spiritual revival is. Spiritual revival is often defined as a return to biblical Christianity or going back to normal Christian living and so here nearly four years on we're going to take a little break from our study through Luke and I want to return and instead of thinking of this thought a new normal I want us to consider the thought back to normal because friends I believe with all of my heart that spiritual revival is something that many believers need that God, through His Spirit and His Word, would speak to our hearts to bring us back to a place of normal Christian life, normal biblical living. What is revival? It's a return to life. It's a It's an awakeness when we've been slumbering or apathetic. It is getting back to what a normal Christian should be according to the Word of God. And as we work our way over the next few weeks through the book of Haggai, I want us to think about it in that context of getting back to normal. And what Haggai challenges us with in this first chapter is the thought that God provides resources when his children walk in obedience, and it causes us to evaluate and consider our priorities. Priorities are something that we tend to get out of alignment regularly. I believe that's why, right in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declared to those who would be his followers, take no thought of this, of that, the other. For after all these things do the Gentiles, and in that he meant those who are not followers of God. That's what they seek. But seek ye first what? the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, you don't need to raise your hand, but just think for a moment. Could you say in your life today, right now, that you seek first God's kingdom and righteousness? Could you say that? If the answer is no, the reason... While there might be several different reasons for each of us individually, but ultimately the idea is that our priorities are out of alignment. And a return to biblical, normal Christian living is aligning our priorities with God's priorities. If you would, look at Haggai chapter 1, and we'll see this start to come out throughout this first chapter. Haggai 1 includes 15 verses. We'll read them all here. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built." Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little." Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord." Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? saith the Lord of hosts. Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit, and I called a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did the work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Now you may wonder, what is going on here? If you can remember a little bit of Israel's history, Haggai is what we would call a post-exilic prophet. Because of rebellion and idolatry earlier in Israel's history, God allowed them, as he said he would, to be conquered by their enemies. And their enemy, Nebuchadnezzar, namely of Babylon in 586 B.C., defeated Jerusalem. And he took numerous of the Jewish people captive Back to Babylon Now about 50 years later in 538 BC Cyrus of Persia allowed the Jewish exiles to begin returning into their own land And not only that This heathen king being used by God Gave them all the materials they would need to return to Jerusalem And rebuild God's temple But when they returned to the land and started doing that work, they started working on the temple. They started repairing it, rebuilding it, getting it ready for the worship of Jehovah, Yahweh, to return again to Jerusalem. They started facing opposition and difficulty. And for 16 years, no one worked on God's house. For 16 years, the temple continued to lay in ruins. It was because of that that God called a previously unknown prophet by the name of Haggai to stand up and preach four messages over this course of just under four months to inspire and motivate the people to overcome the challenges and to get back to working on the house of God. And I see great help in the message of of Haggai for God's people today. Because the reality is we face challenges too, don't we? You and I face challenges and difficulties in life. And those challenges and difficulties are meant by our enemy. The one who is the adversary of our souls. The one who stands in opposition to us and any work we would do for the Lord. He intends to use those, much like the opposition Israel faced, to keep us from going to the work of God. He designs for us to not get involved in ministry, to not serve the Lord, to not align our priorities with God so that we might do what he would have us to do effectively, victoriously, and prosperously. Here in this first message, did you see the focus on misplaced priorities? And so, God, through his prophet, encouraged his people to correct their priorities. And he makes a promise, and we see it come to pass that through obedience, God would provide the resources for the work to prosper. Let me show you four aspects of this text that lead us to this conclusion. And what we'll find is this truth that God provides the resources we need when we walk in obedience to him. Notice, if you would first, an accusation is made. Look back at verse number two, if you would. The Bible says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, The people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Remember, the people returned to Jerusalem some 17 years earlier to rebuild the house. For 17 years, they've been back in Jerusalem with even instruction and provision from a heathen king to rebuild the temple. But because of the opposition they faced, which you'll find recorded in Ezra chapter 4, the people halted their work and God's house sat unattended for all that time nearly 17 years. In verse number 2, notice the phrase, the time, is used twice. It's repeated. It seems to be the main concern in the text. Later on, God would also highlight the idea of time as he spoke to his people. And what were they saying? Is it time that we should work on God's house. Can you imagine that? For 17 years nearly, God's house lay in ruins. And for 17 years, the people constantly ask themselves the question, is it time? Is this really the right time? Look at what else is going on. Look what we're facing. Look at the challenges that have been laid against us by opposition. Look at the enemies that around us is this really the right time that we should focus on God's house and I wonder could it be that we as God's people are too preoccupied with the time I'm not talking about a set day or a set hour but the time in the sense of the age in which we live the events the circumstances The challenges. When you look at what's going on around us in our world, it is easy, isn't it, to get preoccupied with the news. There's wars going on here and there, including something that very well is tied in with prophecy in the Word of God in the Middle East. There are these supernatural events these natural phenomena that God said would increase more and more as the time of the Lord's day approached. There are the challenges we see in our own country, economic instability, workforce where it seems like there should be all these jobs available and yet there are a bunch of people without employment. There are the challenges of my own personal life, That I face day in and day out The people of God Cease the work of God's house Because of the challenges they face And they face challenges Especially in the form of legal And and political or government challenges Does that sound familiar? We are seeing that more and more globally And even here in our own country Praise God that we still have the opportunity to meet freely. Praise God that at least at this point, I can preach freely what I believe God would have me to preach without fear. But friends, do you know that that's not true all across even our country today? But I want to remind you of an important truth that we would say we know and believe, and yet we struggle to apply to our daily life and thinking. Our sovereign and our Savior doesn't live in the White House. He's the God of eternity on the throne of heaven. You and I can be tempted to look at the time and see global events, challenges, and even growing opposition to the things of God as a hindrance to doing God's work. We may be even uh, tempted to question if we should do his work. Should we really be focusing right now on his church, building his church, being the church that he's called us to be? Which, friend, I'll remind you, he didn't call us to be a church just here within the walls of this building. He called us to be the church out there. In our neighborhoods, and in our community, and in our workplaces, and in the restaurants, and in the stores. That's where we're to go be the church. He didn't tell the church, come in and stay. He said, go. Could it be that we're too preoccupied with the time to focus on cultivating his house? Which I'll remind you, isn't a building, it's you. Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Are we tempted to say it's not time to do this or that for the Lord? The time's not right to take a step of obedience or service for Christ. Are we too preoccupied with the time? Warren Weersby challenges, too often we make excuses when we ought to be making confessions and obeying the Lord. We say it's not time for an evangelistic crusade. It's not time for the Spirit to bring revival. It's not time to expand the ministry. We act as though we fully understand the times and the seasons that God has ordained for his people, but we don't understand them jesus told his disciples that in acts chapter one it's for the father to know your work is to do what go into all the world preach the gospel to do his work have we been guilty of using the time as a reason for why the work of god's house is not attended to number two notice this God not only brings an accusation, but he makes an appeal. God, by his prophet Haggai, appealed to his people's minds, hearts, and wills. And this is a beautiful thing with God. This is the grace and mercy of God. Because this appeal directly applies to how the accusation he's just made can be taken care of, how it can be repaired. If they will have a transformation of mind heart and will notice the appeal to the mind in verse number four is it time for you O ye to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste he's asking them to think have you ever had to do that with someone maybe with your children or your grandchildren before and they're just they're just doing something futile they're, they're trying to get something done And they're not really paying attention And you have to get their attention And say stop and think Stop and think about what you're doing Stop and think about what you're saying Stop and think about how you're acting Maybe it's not your kids and grandkids Maybe it's a spouse at times Or a coworker. You're like come on just think Use your brain God essentially does that with his people. He encouraged them to stop, to evaluate their present activity and what it revealed about their values and priorities. When he talks about sealed houses here, he's talking about houses that are not only functional, but their houses are up to date. They're they're furnished with the newest fashion, they're completely ornate they had taken the time to rebuild and repair their own homes get them up to date make sure everything was functional and working and now they were working on making sure it was as furnished and as beautiful as they could possibly make it they were doing all of that while God's house was in ruins They were using their resources, not just some, but all of their resources, including the ones meant for God's house, for their own comfort. Can I ask, does that sound familiar? Something I've noticed with American Christianity, and I include myself in this, is we like to be comfortable. we like to be comfortable don't we we like to be comfortable in our lives day by day no problems no difficulties no challenges we like to make sure our houses are as comfortable as we can make them we might even get a little irate if we show up to church and we're not as comfortable as we could or we think we should be throughout the service It's something that is an American Christian phenomenon because there are believers meeting all over the world today who don't have near the comforts that we do. And give more, perhaps, than we do to the Lord. Notice the appeal to the heart. God says, consider your ways twice in verses 5 and 7. He wanted them to stop and think, to evaluate their priorities and values, but now he wants to get to the root of it for the sake of making the needed changes. The word consider used in verse 5 and 7 is a translation from a Hebrew phrase that includes a pronoun, a noun, a preposition, and a verb. Literally, it has the idea of you need to set your heart on your own ways. In other words, God wanted each of them to stop and make evaluation of themselves. To take stock. This is what I'm doing. This is what I've done. Why? Why am I making excuses about the time? Why am I using all of my resources, including those meant for God's house, to provide for my own comfort? Why are my priorities so out of line that I'm more interested in my own comfort than I am God's glory. What does your activity reveal about you? And then he makes an appeal to the will. He goes from, "Why are you in your houses that are luxurious while my house lies waste? Consider your ways, take stock, figure out why this is true. And now do something about it. Go up to the mountain, bring wood, build the house. I'll take pleasure in it and I'll be glorified, saith the Lord. Isn't it interesting that when our priorities are aligned with God, movement always follows? Activity. Can I use this word we don't like to hear too much? Work. Work always follows. Friends, can I remind you, service to the Lord often includes work. Ministry for God often includes labor. It includes getting our hands dirty, rolling up our sleeves, sweating a little bit. It's work. The people needed to evaluate, they needed to consider, and then they needed to act on it. And what God knew is that upon sincere evaluation, they would discover that their priorities were misplaced. And when they did, they would get back to doing the right thing. And if they would, God would be pleased and glorified. Could it be that God is speaking to us today as we end 2023 and get ready to go into 2024 about misplaced priorities? If God is speaking evaluate your priorities and align them with god's values as directed by his word and his spirit if you follow on in verses 9 through 11 we find the results of their wrong priorities god had a covenant with his people and when they broke the covenant god said here's what will happen they did all they could to maximize their resources they thought in a sense their bags were filled with money, and it was like the bag had, had a hole in the bottom of it. And every time they tried to put in, it just, it just went away. It disappeared. They laid up uh, the harvest, and then they'd go back to their barns and find there was nothing there. As they did the work, they put in all the effort they could. God did not send the rains. There was a drought. That leads to Famine. And they're wondering, why is all of this happening? And God says, I made a covenant with you, and you are not holding up your end. And that's why. One said it this way, those who plan to give to God once they have enough for themselves will never have enough for themselves. Well, how would the people respond? I want you to see, thirdly, an activity is made in verse 12. The people that God specifically directed this message to, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, who was the governor of Judah at the time, the main political leader, Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, the main spiritual leader, they got busy. They went about doing the work, and the remnant of the people followed. The people responded to the message of the Lord. They obeyed his voice. This was an amazing response to people who, by the way, the adversity and difficulty that caused them to stop was still present. The opposition was still there. The enemies were still there. And let me say this, if you and I wait... Until the opposition is gone If you and I wait till there are no challenges Or difficulties If you and I wait until we have this thought Well once I have myself Straightened out, taken care of All my needs met I have enough for me Then I'll get involved in God's work You'll never get there Because that's never going to be true C.S. Lewis said it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Often God is using those things to draw us closer to himself. And could it be, that God actually wants to use the difficulty and adversity that you and I are facing to get the attention of his people, to get our attention. It wouldn't be the first time. He's done it often throughout history. Notice how in this verse, the people are referred to by the title remnant, The phrase says more than simply an identification that they survived Babylonian captivity. It identifies in the Old Testament, these are God's people who are faithful and obedient to him even through difficulty and adversity. And can I ask you today, who? Who will be the remnant in a post Christian America? Who will be the remnant in an anti Christian America? Who will be the remnant in an anti-God age? Who will be the remnant at a time when there are difficulties and challenges all around us? Who will be the remnant who, through their own personal, individual struggles and difficulties, will still align their priorities with God, be blessed by God with the resources they need to do the work well and do it? Would you be part of that remnant? The remnant would be those who live in obedience to God even through difficulty and adversity. And then, notice fourthly, if you would, an assurance is made in response to them doing what God said to do. It wasn't just about obedience, they took time to evaluate themselves. And what they were doing. Why they were doing it. They came to the recognition their priorities were not aligned with God's. That they were more interested in their own comfort than God's glory. And they repented. They made it right with God. And got busy. And then we read these words. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am what? With you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Notice what happens. God provided his people with his presence, his power, and the provision to do his work. But that happened in conjunction with God's people moving to obedience in spite of the difficulties. And as they responded to God, moved in obedience to Him despite the difficulties, God met them with His enabling grace. Don't miss the order. The people obeyed, began obeying, and God enabled. Do you know what often happens in your life and mine? We want to sit and wait for God to do something. We want to sit and wait for God to provide or enable before we move. But that's not what happened here. They began to move. They repented. They began obeying God. And then God responded with enabling them to do the work. He gave them the provision, provided his presence and his power. And perhaps you're sitting back waiting on God. And all the while, God is waiting on you. Maybe you're sitting back going, well, God, once you would take care of this, once you would fix this, God, once you would answer this prayer, God, once you would make this happen, then I'll do this, that, or the other. And all the while, God's waiting on you. He's ready to open up the windows and pour out a blessing. He's ready to fill you with his spirit and his power. He's ready to provide the resources you need to do the work successfully, victoriously, prosperously. He's ready to move and be more present in a very real and enabling way with you and for you and through you but he's waiting for you to move if God has spoken if he's directed you by his word and his spirit start moving in obedience and God will meet you with his enabling grace then and there you'll be guaranteed with success Because it's not me, but God's presence in me, with me, for me, and through me. That guarantees the outcome. Do you believe that? What did Jesus say to his disciples, John 15? Abide in me and I in you. Why? Because without me, what? Ye can do nothing. But do you know the opposite is true? With me, you can do everything. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Friends, the reality is without God's provision, His power, His presence, we are ineffective and can do nothing. And so God challenges us consider your ways evaluate your priorities and commit to obey God and perhaps this week as we end this year and go into a new year this week take time to evaluate your priorities are your priorities aligned with God have you been more focused on your comfort than on God's glory Have you been using the thought that, well, it's not the time, it's not the right time for me, it's not the right time for us, to hinder you from getting into God's work without evaluating current priorities and establishing right priorities in your life will miss God's provision of resources. But if God has touched your heart about your priorities... Respond obediently and experience the assurance of his enabling grace to fulfill his desire in your life.